Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong. Thanks for tuning in each and every week. Kind of a crazy week last week that Brian Fogle really uh, blew a lot of people away. If you, if you haven't gotten around to listening to it, go check it out. And if, and if you haven't gotten around to seeing Icarus, go check that out as well. It's on Netflix. A lot of people saying it's going to win the Academy Award. That would be pretty amazing for him. Um, wow. Hey, uh, before I get to my guest, Perry Farrell, this week, uh, for you parents out there, don't your kids, especially when they're young, say just the funniest stuff? Like, it's they just, it's shocking sometimes. So Max comes home the other day, and he's got his spelling list for the week and all these words he has to learn. And so one of them is worship. And uh, he's like, what's worship? So we, you know, tell him, you know, when you worship something, it's et cetera, et cetera. So he's like, oh, I, oh, I, I get it. And, you know, I, I worship my penis. And I've, and he's eight. He said, I worshiped it for eight years. And I mean, we're just in the kitchen like, what? Kids, these kids these days. <laughs> hey. Yeah, well, actually, you could send us an email and tell us all the crazy stuff your kids have said. Or not. You know the email address. It's theforward at wedo.team. You can send those stories. You can send your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, whatever you got to that email address. Look forward to hearing from you. My guest this week is Perry Farrell. Been in the rock and roll game for a long time. Um... His band that he started many, many years ago is actually still going strong. I saw them over New Year's Eve. For those of y'all who follow me on Instagram, you saw some videos that, that Jimmy Johnson, Dale Jr., and myself posted backstage. But Jane's Addiction was really at the forefront. They were sort of pre-grunge, if you can imagine. Huge band. Um, but Perry was not just a band leader or a singer um, he was, an, he's an artist. He's, he was, uh, an, an event visionary. And one could argue that he's without him, all the big festivals that we see today, whether it's Bonnaroo or Coachella or Austin city limits festival, or now Lollapalooza back again with none of those would exist. It was his, it was his idea in the beginning, not just to, to try to recreate Woodstock in a sense, but also to take it on the road. And, what a monster business that has become. Um, so we caught up in Aspen, Colorado over the holidays. This one's been in the can for a second. Um, fascinating conversation. Interesting guy. The guy's lived a crazy life, whether it's leading Jane's addiction or, um, you know, uh, speaking of addiction, they all dealt with serious addiction in his life. Um, but he's managed to find a way to keep moving forward and clean up his life and, and keep his band intact and keep rocking. And at the end of the show, you'll hear he talks about a new project. And, th- and, and when I mean, I should have just said a new bold project that uh, I wish him luck on. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, Perry Farrell, see you next week. Perry, it's so good to see you. Wait to see two lands. When we go farther back than people would think. Yeah. Not as far back as fortunately we get to get into because you've had a pretty crazy 30 year run. But yeah, 30 plus. 
We met in, you came to the Tour de France in 2004. Yeah. Which was, I was like, whoa. Like I grew up such a, just, just full disclaimer and disclosure, I grew up such a huge fan of Jane's. Saw you guys multiple times way back in the early 90s. Living in Southern California, I was on my first cycling team. I lived out there and oh. me and I had a teammate named Jonas Carney. I was sort of the all-arounder climber guy. He was the sprinter and we would we would go see all shows and then all of a sudden you showed up at the 2004 tour and I'm like, holy shit, Perry Farrell's here. So let me get it straight. There's a sprinter and there's a climber. So the, the climber guy kind of sets the pace for most of the race. Then at the end, you got a guy who's the sprinter and he's the fastest guy on a short on a short term, like a hundred meter as opposed to the five hundred meter runner. Right. He's he's like Hussein Bolt. And that's you. No, that's not me. That would in this in the in that particular instance would have been Jonas right, Carney. But eventually it was you. No, eventually then it's it's like the race that you came to. Yeah. You have one of me. Yeah. Then you have around me probably three or four dedicated climbers, little light, you know, right. mountain goats. Gotcha. And then you had four or five guys that could just sprint. And then, like, no, let's say if you didn't have it that day, we didn't need a sprinter. So, when we were running the tour, you came to what ended up being number six. six. There were no sprinters on our team. But oh. Once you go dedicated to trying to win the whole race, you don't care about winning individual days. So, right. my career changed and the composition of the team changed. And got it. But, anyways, it was yeah, but super man, sick to have you there. I went and I walked over to the finish line yep. i got right up to the finish line my head was sticking over the finish line yep. looking over and we had dropped off we got dropped off in that little town i forget what the name of it was but man it was so exciting was, by then we were way up in the mountains we took a helicopter yep so i went and helicoptered up above you guys watched this whole thing happen then uh, dropped off of there and got to that finish line and I wasn't I wasn't there but one minute and then you came out of the corner you cut, came out the corner and you were like going like this with your bike <laughs> <laughs> up against another dude yep. and I knew you were gonna win I didn't think there was any way in the world that history wouldn't have you win in that race you beat the guy by like uh, a cycle's wheel. A wheel length, yeah. About that. So, <laughs> it, it, so and cool. if you're not cool with this, we can take it out later, but I want to, I, I found the email you sent to Charlie Jones and Charles Atoll when you were leaving France. Really? Yep. Okay. So let's read it. Go ahead. Uh, this is from you, uh, July 18th, 2004, 6.01 PM to Charlie Jones and Charles Atoll. Subject, men of daring. Yeah. Thank you, fellas. I leave Paris with a heart filled with courage. I've been with men of daring. I will carry their inspiration back home with me. I will always remember the Tour de France, watching Lance Armstrong and his determined team surround him and drive him to the finish, one of the greatest team efforts witnessed in my life. I am honored to be heading forward with you. My experience has given me unexhaustible energy. I look forward to championing the festival season in America with you. You have been a most gracious host to Paul and myself. We are in Gratitude, Peretz. Really? I signed it Peretz. You did. Oh. So that's real personal. Yeah. Well, it's, so, it's beautifully written. Oh, thanks. I mean. So, so 
here's what it was. In 2000 and I think it was 2004, 2005, uh, Lollapalooza did not go. Mm. That year, we got shut down by the company that owned all the amphitheaters at that time. They were called Clear Channel. Mm. They owned the radio stations. They owned the amphitheaters. And I was going to do Lollapalooza uh, that summer in their amphitheaters. But I had, but I had with me... Uh, this organization called Move On, and hmm. they were people that, let's just say, they didn't want Bush to win the presidency. They right, MoveOn.org. Yeah, mm -hmm. they had um, who was running against him. Well, anyway, th what they did was they put together a um, these shorts called Bush in Thirty Seconds. Mm -hmm. This is a little known history here, mm -hmm. but. So Bush in 30 seconds, and it was going to be people like Rob Reiner, like prominent directors doing pieces on Bush because Move On wanted to get Democrats in yeah. office. I think it was John Edwards and, and John Kerry. John Edwards, Kerry, that's yes. him. Yep. That's it. You got it. So anyway, when they found out, Clear Channel found out that I was going to bring Move On into their amphitheaters, they were really with the bush family yeah the, the bush, bush board family. members are yeah the board members are clear yeah. channel yeah. and so i almost i almost got in under the radar but nonetheless they found out about it they shut down lollapalooza and that was that is a little known fact by the way going to be that yeah nobody knows that huh. they just think well you know Nobody wanted to go or oh, nobody you, went. Right. You had it for a string of years and then it came back in 03, went yeah. away in 04 and then that came back it. in 05. So that year, 04, it went down. But I had, you know, I had a wonderful lineup, but I just, my idea might have been a little too um, forward thinking and I didn't think it all the way through because the Clear Channel people wouldn't allow me to do Lollapalooza. And they had a giant phone conversation that went around the country they said you know every amphitheater got on the phone he made sure that nobody took us wow because at this point lala is 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 a like we now think of Lollapalooza as a one one night in chicago or just rather three nights but one city and then yeah you know now it's destination expanded. right but in the early days it was it a touring was, festival yeah what was wonderful about it was that what was different about it and Woodstock, when they compared the, the two, we we moved. Mm, right. We were traveling Woodstock. Yeah. And we and we returned every year. Uh, you know, things things change. I'm sure it's the same thing with you and and cycling. You know, the bikes look different. Yep. Everything is different yeah, of year to year. Yeah. For us it's the same thing. The music is different. The way we promote it, the way we market it, the way we distribute it, the way we sell it. Um, us as musicians, how we pr how we um, produce it, and uh, what our life is now it's much more live, and it got that way more and more. And you know hmm. we were able to catch year to year all the great musicians that weren't necessarily making that much money anymore in the recording business. Right, because nobody bought People music. People stopped buying the music, hmm. so that was an evolution that. As a musician, we're looking at it and going, whoa, what do we do? What do we do? Hey, man, just fucking get in a van and, and let's go out there and, and play. Hit the road. 
Yeah, hit the road. So that was what was remarkable about us in 91 when we started. Yep. So now here we are, fast forward, 2004, and I'm bringing it back. And, you know, I used to have, I've always had what I call extracurricular things like uh, alternative energies. You know, I had these hydrogen race cars that people could uh, remotely use and it kind of you know taught people about hydrogen energy and solar energy and i had a stage that was a solar stage so i always had things that were kind of like i say forward thinking for early adapters that year it was bush in 30 seconds yeah and so i was shut down and in my business once you get shut down there's not a good there's not a likelihood you're gonna have another year Wow. You got to start thinking what else you want to do. Do I want to teach? Do I want to go to work at Best Buy? Yeah. Guitar Center. Guitar Center, <laughs> man. I mean, you don't know what the hell you're going to do. Right. So I know what it's like um, to be shut down. So yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a crush. Yeah. And I was just That's getting, right. uh, we had, I'd been newly married. I just found out I was about to have another kid. And all that happened. My band on top of that decided they're going to start a new band without me <laughs> you're like <laughs> yeah when it, it rains and pours week. it was a bad week yeah all that happened in a week so when you hear the um on the email paul and i yeah. thank you to paul for treating paul and i so well at that time my tour manager was his cat paul Cheveria. he's a good friend to the charlie charlie mm -hmm. jones knew charlie jones for many years he said there, um, I had asked uh, William Morris, my my partners, could you find me, instead of trying to find all these amphitheaters, yep. I don't like the amphitheaters anyway. I said, could you find me just some beautiful park, uh, you know, if I can find five parks in the country, I know that we could do great work and uh, we'll have a super successful um, Lollapalooza. So Paul said, I got some friends they have property in Austin. Mm. And sure enough, Charlie Jones flew in from yeah. Austin and said, yeah. I've got this Austin City Limits property, and it's mine. It's not doesn't belong to Clear Channel. And I love you know what you've done, and I want you to check out what we've done, and I did, and I love what they did. And we represent Lance Armstrong. And do you want to come out and watch the Tour de France? six he's going for his sixth <laughs> man and, and we would take a helicopter yeah everything you're like whatever yeah no i said you know what let's go and i wanted to find out what kind of men they were yep you know oh, great great and, dudes and they're great dudes yep you know? yeah and so for the listeners so this this we're talking the company is now was a spinoff of yeah. the company that represented me which was yeah. csc we then created a second company called c3 which for those of you who also don't know, that's the C3s or three Charlies, right? Yep. Charlie Jones, Charles Atoll, and, and, and Charlie Walker. And Charlie. Yeah, and so they were, they, they, you know, which has now been bundled up and bought up and rolled up into, you know, Live Nation and all these other things. But any, basically any festival you kids go to this next summer, C3 has their hands on it. And Yeah, because and, they, 
were uh, their company got bought by Live Nation. Live Nation assigned them to every festival. Right, tried, had them come. In. You know, a lot of these festivals, which I'd love to get into the business of festivals and the sustainability of those, but a lot of them are a mess. You know, I yeah. mean, granted. Lala in Chicago and Bonnaroo and ACL, they kill it. But there's a lot of these festivals that people like Live Nation shit own. Shows. And it's it's a total shit show. And, and you know, these boys know how to not just, you know, put up the fences and do all these other things, but know how to book the talent and market the event and, yeah. and merchandise it. I mean, yeah. merchant, forget it. The merch, mm-hmm. the merch is insane. But do you know the story about how we came across or came to have Austin City Limits Festival? No, I'd love to hear it. So, and I've told the story on the podcast. So, for the regular listeners, you, uh, you went in on a piece of of uh, C three. Yeah. Right? So we, I went the first. I'll, I'll give the Reader's Digest version. So I went in ninety nine. The city of Austin says, "Hey, we want to have a parade," and so I was like, "Oh, okay." So I did a parade, and literally down Congress in the back of a convertible. Like, I mean, it will. It was <laughs> painful. Like I was like, I can't. And then I want to got on your bike, man, with well, your. Buddies. I did other stuff with on the bike, but then the, then the next year they said, "Hey, let's have another parade." And I said, "You know what? How about we how about we have a rock show down at Auditorium Shores? So not at Zilker Park, but at Auditorium Shores." And they're like, "Oh, is that what you want to do?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's do that." And they're like, "Well, who's going to do it?" And I said, I, I, "My buddy Charlie Jones. He'll figure it out. He'll <laughs> he'll put it on. He'll put up the fences, build the stage, You're get a the brave band." Man. And that was like the start of the thing. Next level really? from there was licensing the name and the brand just like they did with you and William Moore. So licensing Lollapalooza, they licensed the brand of Austin Sea Limits. That thing started going, you know, into the stratosphere. And then it, then, you know, then the two worlds crossed. I see, I see, I see. Yep. Charlie used to tell me stories that said, Lance used to sleep on my couch. (laughs) You sure it wasn't the other way around? Really? I don't know. Ah, well, it's his story. He gets to tell. <laughs> he could say whatever the hell he wants. He's he's a mint, so he yeah, can do he whatever is. he wants. That's right. Um, but the origins of Lala, like I, man, I was. It's been interesting spending the day just like reading about you, and the origins of Lala, the fact that you and your band Jane's Addiction weren't getting along. We're gonna break up. At least this is the way I read it the label or whoever says, okay, but you got to go do, you have to finish this tour and then you guys can go do whatever yeah. you want. So that was yeah, the we, farewell we needed, tour. Uh, we needed one more run. Yeah. Back in the day, we would tour for 18 months. Hmm. <laughs> so, and that's, I still think that's how it should be. People should, they should uh, do, do a, you know, a body of work and take about, you know, a little about a year and a half and tour the world because that's how long it would take to safely. When I say safely, like so you don't get sick, like our man Tom Petty. Yeah, like yeah. they had they had that poor cat working, and from what I hear, he huh. was he was not feeling well. And he had he shattered did. his hip or something like that. You know. So when you say over the course of eighteen months, you you're not talking. You get off the road. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> my first manager, Gary Kerr, first managed the Ramones. Talking Heads, Deborah Harry, Jane's Addiction, and uh, somebody else. Whatever, that's a pretty good stable. That that was only his New York crop. Yeah, and then Bob Marley he had in yep. Jamaica. Yeah, and out of out of the out of Jamaica, I'm sorry, out of Jamaica in America he had Bob Marley. Right. So <laughs> he had a system already going on how to, and so my, our first tour 
was supporting the Ramones. And he had a system. So it would be three weeks on, two weeks off. Three weeks on, two weeks off. And you keep the Ramones going. That's what they did their whole career. And they were rocking? Or they, they were, were rocking. Or they I were mean, past their prime. Well, they still. Not no, rocking on rock. stage. I mean, rocking like off stage. Off stage, they that's where to you kind of choke each other. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, you've been there. I learned, yeah, but I, uh, you know, I I learned over the years. I've been uh, a musician for thirty five plus years. Yeah. Started in nineteen eighty two professionally. <laughs> wow! But and this is the thing, man. You must be envious of me because your career, as as incredible as it's been, don't you? Where do you go, man? You guys should have like a retired cycle, <laughs> like a like a like race. a like a seniors tour. Yeah, why not? I don't. You I, look like I, you're I ready to. I wouldn't it be. Up. I wouldn't be down with that. You'd have. You'd have guys. Why, not? why look, don't you race those cats that you raced against? Okay, so here's what. Here's exactly what would happen. You ready? Or just say you don't have two hundred guys like we did back then. Say you have a hundred guys. Yeah, because half of them could be dead. Well, <laughs> well, in my could case, be. and in my case too, a lot of them have unfortunately passed. Whether it's really? Jimenez or Pantani really? or oh yeah, we've we've lost some great ones. You know what? Let's let's play with this for a second because because yeah. this nobody has ever said this, talked about this, wanted to do this. But if you did and you had a hunter guy, a hunter man field, you would have guys. These guys they would be so committed and so fit right. and so dedicated. Right. Which I'm not like I do. I'm cool with an hour or two a day. These boys would be doing the same hours. That they did back in the day, they would. Okay, so what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that I would, say I, I, I would, would you I'd get my win? ass kicked. Oh really? I totally get for sure. Well, here's the thing. Now, if if you were I, I would think to myself, I, I'm not going to get my ass kicked, so I'm just not going to join. But if you make the commitment to join, you're going to. Well, then you'd have. Away. Then you'd have to. Right. That's a. That's called. That's a commitment. Yeah. A true commitment. So what you're saying, I guess, then is. You just love cycling for the pure joy of it. And you don't need to compete anymore. I, Perry, in all honesty, uh, that I, I crossed that line last spring. Okay, so here's what here's an idea for you. Why don't you start a tour that's got we'll no just chill? A tour because people would love to probably if you toured them through. Yeah, Burgundy places. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And then it's just pure joy. Destinations, great eating places, great yeah. hotels. Sounds amazing. That's something to do. Yeah. Because because I I sometimes think like Kobe Bryant must be going crazy. You know, I never had to make that decision. Like I now announce I'm retiring. Right. Right. Well, you might have said that at one point. No, I just said I quit Jane's addiction. Yeah. I never quit art. Yeah. I ne never quit being creative. I never quit. Being thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, you know, you, 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 but by the way, they do have what you just touched on five day thing, seven day thing. Oh, where you, yeah. Where you can go to Provence, you can go to Burgundy, or you can go to Tuscany. And, yeah. you know, there, there's, but they're pretty basic. You know, they ride yeah. up really basic bikes. Well, there's lots of stuff too, man. I'm starting to think for you. Equipment. Uh, and what I'm thinking right bikes. now is it'd be great if you talked into the mic. Okay. <laughs> so listen to this. Hey, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep I'm on. A, I'll be on. I'm gonna be on. I usually uh, hold my mic, so that's probably why I'm having difficulty. I know we're we're lo-fi. So listen to this. <laughs> the year that you won, 
you sent me a bike that was the standard operation team, team bike, yeah. team bike. Yeah. And I ride that bike, so I got some good stories for you. So when I ride that bike, I'm in a competitive um, nature, you know, in, in a competitive mode. Yeah. I go down to the beach. That's where I ride. I ride yeah. on um, the, the path beach, right along there. along yeah. the bike path. Yeah. Uh, I live in Santa Monica, so you know where the Santa Monica Pier is. Yep. Down to Venice, down to Marina del Rey, back up uh, all the way to Topanga. I go, so I've got all that stuff. And I know I've got your bike underneath underneath me, right? Yeah. And these cats come riding by, and they, uh, they kind of want to race, you know? Right. So I just kind of like let them do it. No one beats me because <laughs> the equipment is so <laughs> yeah. stealth. It's so awesome. You know, the, the equipment, just so you know this, and I, you may know this, but we didn't have custom bikes. So the frame really? that somebody that that if you went down to uh, you know whatever the shop is in L.A. Helen's cycles. Helen's. If you went to Helen's back in 2004 and bought a Trek road frame, it would be the frame itself no component kidding. the same because they, they they don't have the ability to customize those. Once they go to Japan or you know to Asia to be manufactured and on the on the on the line just stamped out, uh -huh. you can't. The the molds are so expensive and cost prohibitive. Oh. That's the same bike. So you're, uh -huh. there's no different. Paint might be a little different. Yeah, Wheel I got a great paint job because you asked me what colors I wanted. And I wanted, uh, you know, I'm a old, long time Knicks fan. Coming, I was growing up. I was a little boy in New York. Yep. Uh, when the Knicks were the world's champions, believe that Knicks, the Mets, and the Jets. That's 1970, 71, 69. Yeah, man, couldn't lose. So I had it painted, Nick orange and blue with flames was yeah. joe namath the quarterback yep. back then so i this is this is totally random but i saw Joe name is my hero okay so i saw a tweet this morning uh from darren Ravel, who's the who's the most influential sports business reporter he tweets all about business and money and and anyways so it was this day in the 70s late 60s early 70s where they signed joe namath his first deal was like three hundred fifty thousand dollars plus a green lincoln and there was somebody <laughs> that he had to have the green Lincoln, and there was somebody and a raccoon, a raccoon coat. It was all part of the shtick. And then somebody came out at the time and said, "There is no athlete in the world worth that money." And so in today's <laughs> in today's money, that's about three million bucks. Uh, so think about Joe Namath being who he was and everything he did for three million dollars. That's a good deal. That's a great deal. And the green Lincoln. <laughs> The Green Lincoln for the Jets. No? Yeah. Yeah, no, it came to me. And so when you're, you get, but, but you know what? The influence of Joe Namath, if you think about Joe Namath and now think about Perry Farrell. Yeah. You, can you see the influence? No, I, I, I can see it. He I tries see to it. be a sexy motherfucker. You know, yeah. he had the fun, he had the Bachelor 3, you know, he posed nude in a, on a bearskin rug for some stocking commercial. Yeah. And he was just, and you know, just a, just a baller. Yeah. 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 He's, I was at an event with him like a year ago. I was like, wow, Joe Namath is here. That's, yeah. Pretty cool. Cool as hell. Yeah. And he, he got he, himself into some trouble. He got into some trouble. You know? So yeah. he was kind of a bad boy. But, but in the end, you know what? The dude delivered. Yeah. Yeah. He did. And he played hurt. He played with wrecked knees back in those days. Man, you, you go and look at him and see his padding. 
He's got he's got bigger knees than he does shoulder pads. Mm. That dude's knees were so wrecked. Think about the doctors operating on him back then. No, and he'd come back in quick, and he would get all shot up Nova, with you know Novocaine and play on bone to bone. Oh my god! No, those and boys, they they were now with the 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 you know the headlines are all about concussions as as they yeah. should be. But I mean, Earl Campbell lives in Austin, right? So he was played at the University of Texas, then went on to be a great with the Oilers. You know, poor Earl, he cannot walk. He is he is oh, bound bad. to a wheelchair because just, for, I mean, I'm sure that they all had concussions, but the knees, I mean, just the pounding they took week in week out, and 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 they didn't think to like take a week off. And think about their helmets. Yep, you, you ever? I mean, O.J. Simpson obviously is known for many things these days, but um, there was another yet another documentary about him, and something struck me really hard. I was watching the picture showing O.J. at USC, and he's mm. got this smile, good-looking fella. He's got his helmet under his arm. I looked at that helmet, and I go, "I bet you that dude is so concussed. Mm. I bet you that's part." why he hmm. like lost his marbles i bet you hmm. bet you one day when they open that guy's skull up they're gonna see that guy's got calcium deposits all over his brain it's a tough sport yeah some would argue that the helmet actually leads to the you know as the helmets have gotten bigger and bigger and the, and the guys feel like they have this this oh, yeah. this you know so more licensed uh, to, yeah to licensed to just go head first head. or almost like a weapon that that they just think I'm going in. Like I got this thing on my head when when you know, if you had nothing on for just say you had Well, that's rugby. So now what are the tests prove in rugby? Well, that's what that that actually was part of this conversation I had last night and I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, we should find out. We will. We're going to find out. But anyway, look, it doesn't matter. You got 320 pound dudes <laughs> running you down and driving you into the fast, ground. Fast and strong. Uh, sooner or later, those guys, oh man, they're, they, I feel bad for them. Yeah. My wife, Etty, is a professional ballerina, and uh, but she also loves skiing. So two years ago, we were up here in Aspen, and we went down a beautiful run. And where were we, darling? Buttermilk, buttermilk. We were there today. Yeah. This is, there was grass everywhere. Yeah. And she crashed. Tore her ACL, and Ooh. this is right before we were going to start tour. And she's so hardcore, she danced an entire year on a torn ACL. She finally got it um, operated on. But she's my hero as far as athletes. Danced on ACL for an entire year yeah. with Jane's Addiction. Hmm. You know, one of the coolest stories about you is 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 and i didn't know the story until i started reading all this is because when when people think of festivals yes they think of lala yes they think of acl bonnaroo but the one maybe because it's in la and every famous person in la is there is, is coachella right and everybody thinks about coachella and and you know but but nobody remembers the the year that coachella started and they lost their ass and yeah. they were completely they were they were they were bust yeah. They wanted to do another uh, do it another year. You were friends with those guys. They said we can't do it. We can't afford it. And you said, well, what if we can play it? So you, when I the way I read it, Perry is forget Lala, which you which you created, Lala Palooza. Coachella is the one that you saved because without that, yeah. that doesn't bridge into right. the third year and then yeah. on and. Yeah, I don't remember so well, but <laughs> I do remember performing with them, and uh, they were gracious enough to. 
um, year after year I was invited to participate in it. You know, eventually I had to tell him, I, I thank you so much, but going on at two o'clock in the afternoon, I want to give it up to some young, you know, right. party that some young artists that would really, uh, it would mean the world to them. So I stopped, but those guys have been my friend. Um, it wasn't just uh, Coachella, but Golden Voice. Those guys, my first real professional uh, shows, they hired me to huh. go and perform with like Susie and the Banshees oh, wow. and, you know, all the great punk and post-punk groups. Love and Rockets. So you, guys, and you, Rock, you guys were on the road with Love and Rockets. Like, yeah. I grew up, man, I'm telling you, this is what I grew up with. And, and well, it's I had like the missing link. You yeah. Know, but I also had this other side, which these, my regular listeners know that like, I was like, I was like a white trash metal kid. Like I loved Maiden and I loved really? Molly, all this stuff and guns. Like I loved, like I grew up in like North Texas. Like we were all these idiot kids. That's what we listened to. Eh? Like hair metal. Yeah, but there's something real free about no, but the kind of metal you like Metallica and all that. I right? love Megadeth. Those guys were outrageous. So, you know, you have to give them props. Yeah. And they're still here, so you even give them more props. Yeah, you know, I mean Metallica's Yeah. The Chili Peppers, they're still I mean, they headlined Austin City Limits this year. Those yeah. are your old homies. Yeah, for sure. You guys had a whole Back in LA, back in the late 80s, early 90s, y'all were all, it almost seemed like you like lived in the same apartment building. You know, it might have been 10 stories Kinda, high. We almost did. You know, a lot of us, it, we started, I found this, they call it a white elephant. It was 10 rooms off of Wilton, Wilton, so, no, Wilton, and uh, near Melrose, Melrose and Wilton, which is kind of near. Uh, um, in Hollywood, yeah, east, going towards East LA. Yeah, but um, I found this place, and we just did what musicians do. We got all the egg cartons and and used carpet that we could. Made a made a uh, rehearsal studio in the back. Oh, really? And I had usually five groups living in that house that are all waiting. Like, is anybody rehearsing in the garage? Cops would be coming, you know, every day. Tell us, you know. I'm gonna fucking arrest you. You gotta turn that shit off, or turn it down. No, no turning down. And do you share? Like I'm like I. I mean, I know you want to talk about my drumming, which I'm super honored you want yeah, to talk about. Yeah. But but just just a matter of logistics. So if let's say there's four bands living there in the elephant, the white elephant. Okay. I it, found the house, so I get I get, you know, whatever. What three days a week, I'm in. Yeah, it's yeah. your story. You get and to, I help build the studio. And so, the, but the, you all share equipment, or do you have to pull out all the drums and put in there? No, drumming? no. Because uh, that's a pain, I would yeah, think. Yeah, that's a kind of a pain, but, you know, it, it was so interesting back then. So we're talking 1983, 84, right? You'd just taken a bus from Miami with your surfboard. Not, I hadn't just done it. I, uh, I had taken, by the time I got to Los Angeles, it was 1981, something like that. Prior to that, I I was just a surfer, so I'd run away from home. I took a Greyhound bus with my surfboard, some art supplies, some weed that I'd stolen from my dad. <laughs> I cashed it in for ninety bucks. So I had ninety bucks, surfboard, art supplies, some clothes, and an address and a phone number. My friend the UG, 
who was got a scholarship at a junior college, San Jacinto Junior College, middle linebacker. But he was also our surf crew. Hmm. He was a, a surfer in my in Miami that also played middle linebacker for my, for my high school. Wow. Yeah. The UG. The UG. He ended up dying. He died of an overdose, oxycotton overdose, Ugh. years later because he didn't he didn't make it into the pros. He started selling life insurance. That, that just just wasn't a life. Well, for there him. there are very few people that make it to the pros. the pros. That's just a, such a so, rarefied error. Yeah. So from what I heard, he moved back home to Miami Beach, lived with his his mom, started selling life insurance, and it just wasn't. He just you know it kind of killed him because mm, mm. it killed his spirit a little bit yeah and he partied really hard anyways like back in the day we're talking 1971 it's when i was going to high school 72 i was born that year yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right so let me tell you what was going on <laughs> so i'm normally scarface, old around people you know, scarface oh wow in miami that's right scarface in miami so people were getting blasted in the streets but also the discos and the private membership my dad had a private membership card and he would give it to me so i'd go you know i'd be able to like go to the discos and try to pick up girls and and dance you know like back in those days there was disco music yep. and rock music too but if you went to a disco you had to go there with a at least a two-piece suit or a three-piece suit so I bought a three-piece suit off my friend Richard Sherman, not the Richard not Sherman, not the not the not the cornerback. Another cat named Richard Sherman, <laughs> whose dad had a clothing. He was in the schmata business down in Miami. So Richard said, "I'll sell you my." It was a two-piece leisure suit, and it was the only suit that I had. So I wore that one every time I went out. <laughs> it was like brown burnt sienna was the color, the actual color. If you look it up on a Crayola crayon box, burnt sienna. So it was that color, but it was kind of polyester. Yep. But but what we would do back then, even though you weren't born yet, so this is what was happening. So we would go out, get in. Um, you know, you, you bought a couple of drinks for yourself, and you know, I worked. I worked at with my dad. I worked at his store, and then some. And then he would fire me and tell me, "Go get yourself your own job." I would work at a delicatessen. As a busboy, man, I worked my whole life. I worked digging ditches, yeah. laying pipes out. In San Jacinto, I went to work. Of course, I got off the Greyhound. The only um, trade I knew was um, jewelry design and repair. And that's what my dad did. My yeah. dad was a jeweler on 47th Street. So I learned that trade, but I wasn't afraid to work. So when I went, came out to California, I just went around to the... Uh, to the uh, places that were building banks and buildings, asked them if they needed a good strong back. So I started carrying wood up in San Jacinto in the high high deserts of California. And I didn't have any idea I would be a singer. Right. I was just kind of hoping I can get closer to the coast. So you could surf. So I could surf. Wow. That was it, man. That was my ambition. Huh. <laughs> So speaking of, because uh, I know you, this is near and dear to your heart, and your your buddy that you moved out there to live with, who eventually passed uh, from his own addiction. Um, I mean, this th I know. Ugh. So believe it, yeah, Ugg. So Ugg might have been there. I was working construction. I 
I started working with a crew, and they, you know, they led me on to like they let me get a tool belt and a and a saw, and I started framing. Hmm. Started framing like, I bet you there's a bunch of buildings in Hemet in San Jacinto or out San Jacinto. Well, you could still go and drive by and be like, I, I built I this built place. I built that bank, yeah. <laughs> Houses, yeah. track homes. But the but this idea of like a uh, passing from oxies and but yeah. you, you, I know the this idea of big pharma and uh, where that all sits in our society with with regards to marijuana yeah. and, and you know other things. I know this is super near and dear to your heart. Well, you know what it is, Lance. It's just this. I uh, being an artist. When I was real young, I wanted to be an athlete. Believe it or not, I wanted to come out and play basketball for UCLA. Yeah. I was very naive, and I didn't understand that I wasn't even going to be six foot. But in my mind... Can I just interrupt and say one thing? Sure. So at that tour in 2004, I don't know if you remember this or not, somebody brought a football. Yeah. So we're in France. We're like in the park. Yeah. And I wasn't there, but they told me the story. And they're like, oh, shit. Perry Farrell is going to throw the football? Like, this guy, he's a rock star. He's not... They said, I mean, you threw it like Brett Favre. They're like, you... you I you played quarterback. You ought to see Perry Farrell throw the football. Like, they, you, like <laughs> it, you, it, you can't believe it. Yeah, I just so wasn't you, quite big enough. That's yeah. why I was so impressed with you. Because mm. I met you and I went like, man, you're my size and you're doing this. Well, you're supposed to, yeah, but. I'm yeah. probably a little Not smaller, big enough to play football, yeah. But I'm not big enough to play football. But even if I was, I, I'm big enough to be a cyclist, but I could never win. You won, man. And I just was really impressed with a guy that's my size, but I understood because I felt all my life, like I was a good athlete. I was, I was a wrestler, hmm. um, high school and college wrestler. I actually was, I wrestled and I was undefeated state champion of New York. <laughs> who knew? But, but who wants to be a, a fucking wrestler? You know, everything was breaking and disjointing. And uh, dudes were If you could be the rock. Exactly. That's a different. One day I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, for my size, yeah. I said, you know what? I'm probably Mick Jagger's size. You know what? Yeah. I bet you I could sing. Yeah. I bet you I could front a group. I swear. That was, a, um, it was a conscious decision to go that way because yeah. I thought I want to be great at something. And, and I just kind of estimated at my size, I could be great at singing. Hmm. And running around on stage. Yeah, running around on stage. We do high aerobic impact music, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I saw it the other night. So for the, I was like, we, we had, and I, well, a couple things. We, you, you guys, it's almost like a residency, right? It's like every year, New Year's Eve, people just come to expect that there's two or three nights at the belly up here with Jane's Addiction. So I went down the first, I get a text first. I get a text from Jimmy Johnson, the 48 car, who's been on this show. And he says, hey. Uh, boys night out i got tickets to jane's and i was like oh cool and i was super i'll show you the text i was super tired i was like oh man i was like i don't know. but you know you just start to rally a little bit next thing you know we're there i run into eddie she's like come back here she's like perry's on his way but she's like the boys are back you know in the, this other part of the green room and they're just kind of having a little jam i was like well, what do you mean a little jam so I walk in, there's the full, not the stuff that's on stage, but the drum kit. Yeah, and it's a small kit. Small kit. And so the at that point, you hadn't shown up yet. And they're just in there, Dave, the crew, they're just jamming. And then you come in and start, and so I, we were making these videos. I'll send them to you. I'll send them to the, 
to whoever. But first one might not be good because remember my throat was out. Well, then you so well you edit. You, we edit these things. Yeah, but it was I was sitting there going, "Holy shit!" And then we cut. You guys get out there and just absolutely destroyed it. Yeah, because I was thinking like I was curious. I was like, because you know it's been. Sh- I was imagining the energy it would take to entertain you guys. Well, you were, you were. That's what I thought. So it was me, Jimmy, Dale Jr., and another buddy of theirs, Barry from Charlotte. And so it was just like four dudes, and it was. But forget our. I mean, our energy was uh, was plenty satisfied. But just the room and and. Yeah, I know, but like it's not every day when you guys, off just show up in a room, and yeah. I'm thinking like, well, you came to see us. For a reason that you want something out of us, you want some energy. Yep. You know, you you want excitement. Yep. You want thrill. So that's what I was thinking. You brought it. Yeah. You brought it. <laughs> Where's Mark Geiger? Is he still? Is he still involved? Is he still your guy? Absolutely. Because he's. I've known Geiger for a long time. President of William Morris now. So yeah. he was, but the Lala. The, this this was it was you Geiger and because when the Joneses when the, or when the C's called me and said yeah we're gonna we're going to restart Lollapalooza. They said two names. They said your name and Mark Geiger. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, I've known Geiger for years. Yeah. Mark is what a like, beast. He's a stud. Yeah. He's the stud of the music industry. So, um, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of Mark Geiger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is with, we've had two year. Fuck you. Fuck. No, fuck yous. Oh, two year long period. Really? Talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, that that guy, uh, you know, my best work in my lifetime, I've done working with that guy, and he's got great information, great advice. He's a great connector, hell of a man. Yeah, yeah. All right, what do you got now? What do you work? What, what's what's uh, important? So I what I've got up the way here, Lance, is uh, my what's next, up your sleeve. My next project is hopefully my finest because it's going to be the last great thing I think I'll have time to do Mm -hmm. so it's called kind heaven and it's an immersive theater it's an immersive Hmm. complex that i'm building a five-story hundred thousand square foot in las vegas right across the street from caesar's palace really (laughs) keep going (laughs) and so it's all based around the premise of music so it's a musical Rather than go to Broadway in New York and watch a musical in seats, come out to Las Vegas where you can walk in within a five-story immersive entertainment complex that's got dining, dancing, actors, actresses, dancers, parkour performers, mixed martial arts, wow. fighters, musicians, Wow, all of Vegas. Yeah, it's everything rolled into one. The ex- there's an expression called something like Mix. It's a German exp- expression, but it uh, it means the the combination of all art forms, and it's really what I'm trying to do. So I'm combining. I'm like a modern day with, circus. A little yes, but I mean Ringling Brothers, and they're they're gone now. There needs yes, to be exactly. a new circus. Yes. So my partner. Carrie Granite actually went to college, the same college that P.T. Barnum went to. Hmm. He went on to make movies, produce movies like The Titanic, The Chronicles of Narnia, Shrek, 
How to Train Your Dragon. So then he got into a bunch of, little, for, bunch of little movies. He worked for Weinstein, hmm. left Weinstein's company, started um, Walden Films to dedicate to these 3D animated children's animations, How to Train Your Dragon. You go into these giant complexes and see, watch these 3D movies. And then he started uh, Immersive Entertainment. So he, what he wanted to do all the time, edging more and more into live entertainment. I was introduced to him through uh, the Guggenheim Foundation's Craig Fox, hmm. who started uh, American Idol. So he, he knew that Carrie was doing immersive entertainment. Carrie right now also does NFL Hall of Fame. So if you go to Canton, Ohio, right. they now have installed... A holograms at Canton, Ohio, so you can see the athletes. And so Carrie is bringing Hollywood, modern Hollywood technology to the table with us. Wow. So there'll be holograms there, 3D video mapping. So you'll think you're at the location. The, the, uh, the, the theme, I guess you, you could say, or, or the, the uh, location that seemingly you'll be in is Southeast Asia. So that's like Thailand. Throughout, throughout yeah. the five stories. Yeah, throughout the five stories. The story is kind heaven. And it's the story of you're living now in messianic times, time of Armageddon, and it just passes it. So you're living in post-Armageddon, hmm. living in the messianic period where there's peace for a thousand years. And you're living there. And it, there's music that unfolds around you as as the patron. You go there, and music happens <laughs> all around you, and you're eating at these beautiful places that um, we have, like probably 20, 20 Hong Kong street food type areas. You can even go there and eat insects if you want, like scorpion. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on that. Well, you don't have to do that. <laughs> right. You can go for noodles. You can go there and have noodles. And how long, say say you're, you know, you just rolled up from, uh, you know, Spokane. I mean, how long is the, is the show, the experience? Well, the... it's a two and a half hour paid experience. Yep. And then if you want to stay, we just usher you off into another room. If you want to, you know, listen to music, um, socialize, gamble. You, do, you go off into another room and kind of kick back there. Wow. We have ways to kind of leading you back in, right. especially if you pay for a VIP experience that surpasses the two and a half hour, you know, you come back in. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, they have, like our, like it feels like we're at this moment in time where we're trying to find, there's another theatrical thing. They just, they're, they're building one in Austin. I can't remember the name of it where it's just, it's almost next level. It isn't like going to a play. It's not like going to an amusement park yeah, you don't or wanna, going to a gym. You don't want to be sitting it's, it's, in seats. But it, it, and it's and you not, don't want the bottle service because the bottle service is such a wank. And you know, watching people behind the velvet rope, you know, these old dudes that can afford a, a right. $2,000 bottle of vodka. Fuck you. It's no fun. So we, so we know who's just, not invited. No, no, no. Listen, money's invited, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, money is interesting. It's nice to be around money. Money, you know, does a certain thing to a room. But if it's only money, man, right. people that worship money, they're no fun. Yeah. They're, they're, not only are they boring, but they're stupid. Yeah. Because they ruin it for, for people that love 
more than just money. Like they ruin the great outdoors. You know what I mean? They, they throw oil into the water or they, they warm up the atmosphere. So, and, and also my whole thing is my company, my production company is called scene makers. And why? Because I like putting people together that make a scene. Yep. Like when you guys showed up, that helped make the scene. Yep. So there was, but you know, what's interesting about scenes, the, the, the tap root of a scene is always music. If you think about it, music scene, there was the rock music scene back in the 60s and 70s. Then came disco. Then there was this disco music scene. Then came this, the jam scene, the post-punk, the alternative. But it's always, you know, in punk rock. Right. It's always, well, the music has to be right. Music has to be centric. Yeah. And it's got to be started by young people that make the music. Yeah. So although there will be billionaires there, but there's also going to be really happening creative young people that are going to be performing that are gonna, I'm going to let you know the ticket is adjustable it goes all the way back to all the way down to affordable prices like a good clothing line you know yeah, yeah. you've got your couture and you've got your then you've got yeah. your everyday wear <laughs> we were at this thing on the mountain the other day and and it was like a lunch scene and it was people were going crazy you probably know the place i'm talking about they were going crazy but the to me the music was just like the music was like 85 percent there and i was like could, could i just maybe make a suggestion like let's get it all the way there because like maybe nobody else noticed but i was like before i can like stand on this table and go as crazy as all these other people like we just it was just off i know so i it's an it's a chemical that affects your soul, it goes into your ears, it goes into your brain, and your brain is altered by it. Yeah. And we can alter your brain to be happy yeah. and excited and enthusiastic, or boring and not thinking. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, good luck with it. Man. I can't. Wait. When is that? That's when is that rolling out? When can I? That's going to happen. Uh, I break ground this this month in other words we start to build in the building is there the structure is there it's the old imperial hotel huh. so if you look at vegas from above and you know that ferris wheel that is the link mm -hmm. the all the way at the end of the link it goes directly it's like crosshairs of las vegas las vegas boulevard's going this way and then the link crosses it so we're right on the corner on Las Vegas Boulevard. Like the 50-yard line. I call us the missing link. Yeah. <laughs> First row, 50-yard line, yeah. Perfect. All right, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah. Good talking Great to, to see you Great again. Great to see you again. Yeah. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like I said at the top of the show, any suggestions or questions, send me an email. The new one, the forward at we do dot team, and we do is spelled W E D U. The forward at we do dot team. Thanks for tuning in each and every week. Look forward to talking to you next week.